Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Indiana Runner podcast. My name is Josh Puccinelli. The following is an interview with Andy Cowan. Andy is the head girls cross country and distance coach for Garen Catholic High School. During this interview, we cover Andy's start in the sport, his coaching journey, and a lot of the things he's learned along the way. Andy is an easygoing, approachable guy who really cares about his athletes. He wants them to get the most out of their time at Garen in both performance and relationships. Towards the end of the conversation, he shared a lot of great things on what he's learned coaching girls through the years that I thought were really profound. Thank you guys for listening to and supporting the podcast. Uh, it's been a ton of fun talking with some of the people that make Indiana running, running great. Uh, there are a lot more people that make this sport amazing. I'm excited for the conversations to come. As always, I hope you all enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, I give you Andy Cowan. Welcome to the Indiana Runner Podcast. How's it going? Great, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Um, how, how's the year going? How's training? How's winter conditioning been for you? It's going well. This year's had a lot of change for me. It's my first year being married and also uh, first year full-time teaching. So there's been a lot of change this year and just trying to balance everything, I think, has been the toughest part between uh, coaching and teaching and being married and trying to run some on my own as well and amongst other things. So that's been the most challenging part for me this year, but it's been a great year and an enjoyable winter. So it's awesome. Have you found any like keys to, to balancing all that life throws at you? <laughs> not, not too many yet. Um, <laughs> but just trying to, uh, be where your feet are, be present, um, with what you're doing and trying not to get too caught up in maybe something you have to do at another point in time. Uh, it can be difficult. I would say in the classroom, maybe you're thinking about what's mm -hmm. going to happen at practice or at practice, you're thinking about what you need to do it when you need to be home or what you need to do, things like that. So just trying to be present, um, is challenging. Yeah. Does, does being present or even like just being balanced in life, like come naturally? Uh, no, not for me, not too much. <laughs> um, I think I'm somebody that can be kind of have a one track mind or get fixated on certain mm -hmm. things. So it's more difficult, not somebody that can juggle. Like I was never somebody I think that could like multi multitask well, mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah, I'm pretty similar. Like I want to I want to be good at a few things. I want to be like focused on a few things. So maybe that does lend itself to like more balanced life, but yeah, when I like get fixated on something, it's really hard not to to think about it, especially like when I'm doing other things, which is obviously not great. Uh so we're going to start off with like we always do, a little tier talk. And this week is going to be the best superpowers. Uh do you want to go first? You want me to go first? You got it. Go for it. Okay. So number three for me is telekinesis, uh, which that's, <laughs> I already forget what, that's moving stuff with your mind, right? Because that's what yeah, I, I think being, being able to control stuff with your mind, something like that. 
Okay, because I made I made this list like a week ago. I'm like, I think that's what it is. <laughs> Why did I choose that? <laughs> what was I thinking? That's a good one. Um, yeah, like like Force grew up on Star Wars, so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so telekinesis number three, <laughs> number two is classic flight. Uh, it'd be so sweet just to be able to to fly places. I almost put teleporting because like, I feel like that's more obviously more like time efficient, but Mm-hmm. It would just be way cooler to be able to, like fly through the sky, <laughs> you know, you fly, fly places. And then number one, uh, and I almost put like this is a running podcast. So I almost put like super speed on here. Maybe that'd be an honorable mention. Uh, but number one is uh time travel. I think it'd just be super mm-hmm. cool to to be able to go back in time, go forward in time, like see different time periods. Um, yeah. So that'd be that'd be my number one. What about you? Those are some great ones. Thank Especially you. time travel. I'm, I'm, I was scared to put a couple because I've seen so many time travel movies where something immediately mm-hmm. goes wrong. That's a great, uh, point. but uh, <laughs> those are movies. So yeah. <laughs> my three in in no particular order. Uh, number one, I said invisibility. Um, mm-hmm. The and these aren't necessarily the ones I would think are the best, but. Some of them kind of fit me or I don't know. I just chose them for whatever reason. Invisibility, I said, because I think that fits my personality. Uh, <laughs> I'm an I'm an introvert. And so there are points in times where I wish I could just snap mm. my fingers and be invisible. Um, <laughs> especially if I feel kind of drained from like a day of a lot of social interaction. Um, I wouldn't use it like all the time or... Um, it would be more, more so for that if I feel like I need to recharge. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first one. And then um, second one, I said uh, super strength. And the reason why I said this one is because I am not strong at all. Um, <laughs> no, it, I remember being able to like bench my body weight for the first time and thinking that was really a feat of, you know, incredible strength. I don't know if that was in maybe in college at some point or something, but, uh, so super strength because I don't really lift weights and I've never been strong. So that would be interesting. Uh, and then the third one, you know, I thought healing, um, would be an amazing superpower, but I didn't put it because I had to give a special shout out, um, to a superpower that I heard at a, at a Carmel cross-country practice uh, <laughs> many years ago. Coach Scott Kenny uh, said this superpower, and he said being able to shoot Mountain Dew out of his hands, uh, regular <laughs> Mountain Dew out of one hand and Baja Blast out of the other. Uh, <laughs> I did not see that <laughs> For whatever reason, with the first thing I thought of when I saw that question was Coach Kenny uh, <laughs> uh, at, at Clay Middle School now, uh, saying that at uh, Carmel High School practice one day. Uh, I don't know if it probably in the summer or something, but uh-huh. I remember laughing at the time, and it stuck. It stuck with me ever since. Anytime somebody brings up a superpower, I just think of Coach Kenny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, who's, who needs a heel? Mountain Dew out of his hands, right? Right, of course. Yeah. But is it? Do you actually like Mountain Dew? Like, would that be your actual? Would you have other um, drinks instead of Mountain Dew? Or I don't really drink Mountain Dew. I mean, I will occasionally, but mm. very, very rarely. Um, you have a go-to soda, or like any type of non-water drink. Well, um, 
recently in the Cowan household, household of two, um, we've gotten on the poppy train. It's kind of like the poppy. new trendy poppy, P-O-P-P-I. Huh. There's, you know, there's kind of healthy sodas are kind of getting a little trendy with certain people and poppy. Um, it's very, the, the can, you just got to look at the can. That That's kind of <laughs> what it's all about. Very like aesthetic. Okay. Um, and expensive too but um we've got we've we have a couple in in um our house and it's kind of like a special treat my wife started drinking and every once in a while i'll just grab one is it does but, it taste like coke or yeah it it, it tastes good it tastes like mm. any other soda but yeah yeah where can you get it uh i think most grocery stores i okay. kroger definitely but Can't yeah yeah, you'll have to check it out, or at least like look them up. I think Olipop is another one that's kind of oh, gotten popular now. Okay. So interesting. Um, the the visibility one's great. I I'm also an introvert, and I didn't really think about it from like that perspective. I feel like this. I don't know. My mind always goes to like the the downside of it. I feel like it could turn. Like if people knew that you could become invisible, it, it gets a little creepy. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know like you could mm-hmm. be like in the room right, anytime. Right yeah yeah that's a good point but that's i like your yeah. perspective on it like it's yeah i would not plan to use it to like spy on people but yeah yeah exactly <laughs> awesome uh well we're gonna get into your background and running kind of how you got into the sport and then transition kind of through your career and then into coaching and and what you're up to now so from the beginning how'd you get your start in running where'd you begin I started running in sixth grade at uh, Carmel Middle School. Uh, I joined the track team. My parents wanted me to get involved with a sport. And so for whatever reason, it ended up being track. Um, and I think that I ended up on the distance team because I definitely wasn't fast enough to be a sprinter. Um, and I wasn't really any good, but um, I really dreaded being on the team at first. But I, by the end of the season, ended up liking it and stuck with it ever since. Nice. How, did you play other sports up until that point, or did you do anything else? Uh, I did a, a, a few different sports, but was pretty bad at almost all of them. I think I scored four points in two total years of basketball. I probably <laughs> hit it to the outfield once in a couple of years of baseball. Um, I was I was uh, defeated. Uh, in wrestling, I think I was zero and six lifetime, <laughs> and um, football. I, they put me on the offensive line, which was not a good idea. No uh, so, I failed at a lot of sports. I was decent at like swimming and tennis, and uh, but never like got too into them. Never kind of got into year round with either of them, so mm. didn't really take off. <laughs> I so I I only played fo- I played football. I only played in third grade. And I was also on the offensive line. I don't know what it is. I guess when you're all kind of the same size, like if you're even slightly bigger than the other kids, then yeah, they you on the O line. I'm guessing they just didn't want to put the ball in my hands because I wasn't like the <laughs> fastest one out there. There you go. So they're like, "What are we gonna do with this guy? Let's hide him on one side of the yeah. line, and then we'll run it to the the other side." Other side. Every time. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if that happened, but like, if I could, you know, if you could go back in time for me and watch, go. uh five minutes of one of my sixth grade or whatever it was for fifth or sixth grade football games, you can laugh the whole time and watch the team run the ball to the other side of the line. <laughs> there you go. 
So you said you didn't really like running at first. Like, what was it about it that, I mean, I guess it's kind of obvious what there's not to like about running, but what was it that yeah. you didn't like at first? I think it was just because it was difficult. It was so mm -hmm. difficult at first. I think for just about anybody getting into it, especially distance running, there's, um, it's going to be challenging at first. Because for somebody that's used to it, um, you know, let's say going on a eight-minute pace run, nine-minute pace run, would be easy but if a person who doesn't run tries to go out there and run that pace may be really difficult for them and so an easy type of exercise would just be walking uh, to start off at least or mixing in walking and jogging but most people kind of go out there and just try to run mm -hmm. and it's hard enough to do that for an extended period of time if you if you never have if you can't so mm -hmm. I think it was just that it was difficult at first yeah do you, do you remember a point where you like kind of started to enjoy it and wanted like wanted to come back to practice? Yeah, by the end of I mean, by the end of that season, um, I ended up I think I signed up and did like a mini marathon with my dad or something mm. um, by the end of sixth grade track. And we probably did it really slow, but I think I kind of got the hang of at least running and being able to run slow for a long period of time, but within a couple months and I, I enjoyed it by then. So it was a kind of a quick turnaround um, yeah. as far as me hating it at first, but then making some friends and wanting to keep, keep doing it longer term. Yeah. So being a coach now, have you noticed like for the kid that comes in as a freshman and maybe isn't very motivated or doesn't really like running, are there any like key factors to them transforming into the type of runner that really enjoys it or is really motivated or, what kind of like can contribute to that transition? Uh, I think a couple of things stand out. Number one is do they enjoy being there? Creating a team environment where people feel safe, where they feel comfortable, where they feel like they can be themselves, where they feel like they can be challenged and enjoy themselves and built up by the other people around them on a daily basis. And they have a relationship with you as well as the coach as an adult at an important period of time. I think that is one then the other thing that stands out is kind of from a training sort of perspective is a kind of a light bulb moment. I feel like some people have where they realize, oh, if I push myself, if I work hard with this, I can get better. And it seems like that would kind of come naturally and people would know that right away. But I've, from my standpoint, it seemed like I've coached several athletes where that's never really clicked or maybe it's taken a couple years. Um, I can remember having some conversations with some kids that got way better over the course of high school. And I said, Hey, what was it that, you know, and they're like, I just kind of got that. I just all of a sudden understood that if I work hard, you know, I saw some success, I saw some improvement and it was just kind of like a flip of a switch or a light bulb. Maybe it takes place over the course of several months or moments, or it's not maybe all at once, but I'd say those two things. Yeah, those are big. The culture piece and then also the I don't know, building a training where it's not kind of like what you said at the beginning, where you're not like throwing them off the deep end, but you're easing them into it, allowing them to, allowing them to see success and see what the benefits of working hard are. I think that's huge. Uh so going back to you, like what uh what was your time in high school like kind of transitioning away from your introduction to the sport, junior high? Yeah. What was your yeah, your time in high school? Yeah. Uh, high school cross country was awesome. 
uh, I had so much fun and made a lot of friends that I'm still very good friends with today, uh, which is just cool thinking about reflecting on. But I had a ton of fun in high school, made a lot of friends, did not have a ton of success because I didn't work that hard. I was there probably more for the social aspect than the training aspect. I'm I'm not sure if I ran more than 30 miles a week until I was a senior in any single week. I don't know. I'd have to maybe probably not. Uh, but I, I didn't really push myself. Part of that was, I think, because I was on a huge team at Carmel and uh, ran for Coach Kepin at the end of his time. And he is an I'm closer to him now than I was uh, in high school, but it just didn't really click with me. I don't, I don't, I think maybe that's because I wasn't mature enough at the time to kind of get a lot of the things he was saying, the seeds he, he was planting didn't mm. end up growing until later on. Um, they eventually did um, big time, but uh, a lot of that maybe went in one ear and out the other, or I was just too immature to kind of realize it, or I was kind of falling through the cracks a little bit, being buried on the team. Um, but yeah it was definitely a fun environment. And so that kind of kept me in the sport and I was making some great friends um, along the way, even though in the winter time and the, you know, I was spending more time playing ping pong in the locker room than actually running or going up to the natatorium to play Euchre instead of running. Mm. Um, I'm curious. So you've kind of had a front row seat to Carmel for the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years. How, how much has it changed or what has it been like kind of the end of Kevin's years now into, to Colin, like what, what's changed? What's, what's your experience been like? Yeah. Well, I'm sure it changed a ton in the time that coach Kevin was there. I mean, he was there for almost 40 years and won so many state titles and coached so many runners, but he was, a, am sure at a different point when he was leaving and when he was moving on um, to IUPUI, then when he was, you know, running with the team every day, mm -hmm. um, probably twice a day, a lot of times, but it, it has changed in a lot of ways and a lot has stayed the same. I mean, the rich kind of tradition and there are things about Carmel cross country that are extremely special and have stood the test of time. And there are definitely a lot of things that are different now. Um, and I have gotten to see a lot of that. Um, and some of those I got to, experience as an assistant coach and I, um, working with Colin, I know that something that I think he does a great job with is um, just building systems. Like uh, there's a quote that says like, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. And he's so great at, I mean, it's such a logistical challenge being able to coach a hundred plus people and being able to give them a good experience. And he takes that, he doesn't take it lightly. He takes that very seriously. And so he's, you know, he's set things up to where he wants to be inclusive and give a ton of kids an opportunity to improve and be part of something bigger than themselves. So there are definitely a lot of things I learned from him um, that I probably didn't even realize until I left as well, until I went to a, a different school and started, I guess, making some of the decisions about what was going on on a team at Garen um, on my own. So. Hmm. Yeah, I've been I've been really impressed by his like intentionality to get the JV guys involved and get them as many racing opportunities as possible. And like obviously there's gonna be like for any coach, there's a natural lean towards giving a little more attention to the best guys, but 
especially on a team of 100, I feel like he does about as good of a job as he can to get those guys involved and feel like they're actually like a part of the team. So that's, mm-hmm. yeah, that's been cool. Yeah, uh, definitely. So you, you would eventually go on to run in college. Um, was there like a, a motivation switch that happened like later in high school or how come you ended up running yeah. in college if you weren't, didn't really like yeah. it? Yeah. I ran, I think about 18 minutes as a junior or something like that. And going into my senior year, um, for whatever reason, I decided to, I got motivated. I decided to, Hey, you know, let's see if I could break 17 minutes or something and maybe make top 12 for whatever reason. I was like, this is my last year. I'm going to start running more miles in the summer. And I did that and it worked. It started to pay (laughs) off. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) If you run more, you usually tend to get better. So I, I ended up, you know, working hard that summer and the first, you know, I was on varsity the first race of the season and broke 17 in the first race of the season. So uh, um, at that point, I was like, well, I did it. Um, but but I, I that was kind of the big change is going into my senior year. I um, kind of got motivated and uh, got a lot better. Um, yeah. And, and that year, too, um, was the first year. That was the first year that Doc Bell was at Carmel, too. So we had a, a, a change there. So I've gotten to, like you said, see a lot of um, Carmel cross country in the last 15 years or so. Yeah. So did you skip right over breaking 18? You just went straight to 17? <sighs> I might have. <laughs> I'm not positive on that, but um, maybe like a time trial or something, but from race to race, I think I, think I might have, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so like heading into your senior year, were you planning on running in college? No, not at all. But after a couple races, some small schools reached out and uh, that kind of got the ball rolling with thinking about running in college. And I had had such a positive experience in high school and being part of a team that by the end of my senior year and when I was deciding upon college, that was something that was key to me is, hey, if I, you can only be a part of a team like this for so long. So mm-hmm. why not keep it going? And I enjoyed running and um, it was tough because a lot of the schools I was looking at, I was not good enough to run on, uh, mm-hmm. but um, just ended up finding a place that fit me really well and that I felt like home when I visited. So, yeah. yeah. So, so you didn't go into all of that. Uh, where else were you considering and how how that process play out? Yeah, I was looking at IU and Taylor and uh, Butler, IUPY, which would have been funny running for uh, Coach Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> but I I visited all of that and they called me about an academic scholarship. So I hadn't heard of the school at all. It's like all of that Nazarene, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> but I went up and visited and stayed overnight and just kind of fell in love with the team and uh, the school and liked that it was a, a private uh, Christian school. I thought the faith piece was um, awesome as well. And so got to go on a visit. And one of my friends later on visited me and said that for a weekend. And he said, it's kind of like you're at all-star camp 
which is a cross country camp I go to, um, I help out with in the summer. He said, it's kind of like you're at all-star camp all the time, uh, 24 seven, because you just run and go to practice and go to class. And then you hang out in the rec center and you play basketball and ping pong and frisbee and do all this stuff. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I wasn't partying in college. Um, and I was like, yeah, I guess it is. Uh, so I had a few years of that. Yeah, that's cool. Was it a pretty smooth transition then from high school into college? Or? No, it wasn't for me. Um, yeah. So my senior year, I had I was running well in cross country, and then I got mono and kind of ruined my cross country season. So I didn't get to run in the state tournament. And then track, I kind of improved a little bit more. Um, but when I got to college, I – found out I was anemic about halfway through my freshman year and that um, amongst other things like being able to make decisions for myself about what I was doing with all my time uh I just wasn't I just kind of lost some motivation and mm. um kind of spiraled a little bit my freshman year and was not running well at all uh but that that kind of changed after my freshman year and I got better each year after that did you consider giving it up at all like quitting running I probably thought about it because I was running much slower than I was senior for a while but I love the team and once I decided to stick my head down a little bit it it paid off pretty quickly yeah what was the rest of your time like like in college uh what was your training like or some maybe some key moments along the way yeah, so my freshman year, I didn't run very much, probably. I didn't train very much or hard. And I wasn't motivated. I was towards the back of the team of about a 30, you know, 30 men on the team. But then each year after that, I just kind of kept getting a little bit better, working my way up, uh, started training hard and increasing my mileage a little bit each year until by the time I was a junior, I was, you know, running on the top seven on varsity and all of that was also the team got better kind of each year I was there too. That's definitely not all attributed to me, <laughs> but we had a couple pretty good classes come in and um, guys developed year after year. And so the team, at least on the NAIA stage, um, kept you know, improving each year. I think my one one year we were sixth and then my last year in school we were third and that was those were both the highest the men's team had ever finished so that was, that was a, a cool moment yeah third in nai national so that was an awesome uh part to be you know be a part of that team that was something that we wanted to do for several years um kind of mm -hmm. leading up to was be on the on the podium which i think was top four teams in the NAIA. so that's awesome um so you, did you run the marathon while you're at all of that? <laughs> uh, I did. What was that like? My, yeah, my last year in school, I did. Um, it was crazy because they had it in Gulf Shores, Alabama, okay. and I'm not sure what the status is of the marathon now. It's an it's an outdoor track event. It's not ran on an outdoor track, thank goodness, but it's okay. part of outdoor track. Who knows when that? you know came to be but you had to qualify by running a half or a full and I ran a half in the spring and then was kind of training for it and it was 
the hardest race of my life, definitely, wow. um, because it was so hot and humid. And, you know, each year there might be 50, 60 guys and a bunch of them would drop out because it was so difficult um, conditions wise. And a lot of those guys probably hadn't ran a marathon before um, or let alone raced one. And to race it when the conditions aren't ideal is not great. But fortunately, I had a really good plan set in place, I think, and training wise and also mindset wise. And I think that ended up paying off. My goal for that race was to finish all American, which was top eight. And I finished eight. And that was a cool end of, you know, end of, of, college running that was my last college race um to finish eighth in in that marathon and i think i was in eighth for about half a mile or a mile i was you know kind of hanging in the back of the pack and just slowly worked my way up um but it was it's the hardest i've ever pushed myself in a race um for sure that was your first marathon no, it wasn't my first, but okay. it was the fir- first time that I really had raced one okay. um, where I had really like trained and, and actually gone out and, and raced it, um, which I would say is a lot different from trying to complete one. Yeah, for sure. Like just trying to finish or, yeah. Oh, you're training for a marathon now, right? I am, yeah. It's yeah. been about It's been about four or five years since I've actually trained for one, so it's been fun to get back into it a little bit. I'm not too serious with my training right now, but definitely I've been running more than I have in the last few years. Okay. Um, Are you doing since Carmel? kind of becoming, mm-hmm. okay. yeah, it's about six weeks away. Nice. You so feeling ready? We'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm, I'm really pleased that I've been getting in better shape. That was kind of the main goal is sign up for something, get in better shape and, just kind of challenge myself again. It had been too long since I had made myself uh, hurt in mm. <laughs> training or go out there and race. Um, kind of been living vicariously through uh, people I coach for the last yeah. few years. <laughs> Do you feel like it's important as a coach to, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying you have to go out and uh, complete a marathon, but be doing something to like to push yourself to kind of stay connected to what your athletes are going through? I think it's a good idea. I know when I first came to Garen, I wanted to show everyone that anything that I told them to do, I was willing to do. And that still is the case today. Anything they ask that if they're, you know, questioning, I'm willing to put myself out there and go do it. Um, speaking of, and, and shout out to coach Tom Woolman, who, you know, we've kind of been co coaches in cross country the last few years. Uh, we can talk about more about that in a, in a in a while if you want. But mm-hmm. uh, he went out and ran the Indiana Runner Distance Showcase mile on a whim on it Saturday. Is. Hasn't been training for the mile at all. And we had been at the meet. We had watched our athletes race and push themselves. And Coach Ullman jumps in there, runs a 438 full mile in the clothes he showed up to the meet in, a full long sleeve. <laughs> pants and trainers 438 full mile couldn't I have no idea when the last time he ran a mile that fast was but he just went out there and did it and he was making himself hurt the whole time hey did he know he had he had that in him I don't think so at all I don't know but you can never sleep on you can never sleep on Tom Olin 
Yeah. yeah, I think he wanted he wanted to break five. That was the goal. Yeah, I think he did it. I wish yeah, I was yeah. there. I wish I could have seen that. That's that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was impressive. Yeah. Um. So what what did you study at all of that? And were you planning on going into to teaching and coaching or being in that space? Uh, I studied accounting. I started off as a math education major, but I changed my major after a while. A lot of that was because I didn't really feel like I fit in in the education classes and amongst my major. Probably just should have stuck it out, but I'm glad I didn't actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, I switched to accounting and it. I, I had always been a math and numbers guy and um, accounting was something that I took in high school and enjoyed. So I decided to switch over to that and do something in business. And I really enjoyed all those classes that I took. And um, for whatever reason, I think it was just like my personality was a lot different than most of the teachers or education majors. And that was part of the reason that scared me away. There were other factors as well. But yeah, yeah I decided was it to like switch being to, more to introverted? I think that was some of it being more introverted. Um, a lot of the, a lot of teachers that I know are great, you know, planners and maybe very type A and they're very I guess I can be detail oriented, but very organized. And I didn't see some of those traits in myself. And so maybe that was a reason that pushed me away. I felt, I felt very comfortable and um, around the other, you know, accounting and business yeah. marketing, et cetera, majors. So sure. what, what about coaching? Were you planning on, on coaching or when did that come into play? It kind of happened over the course of time. I got a little bit of experience coaching in college, uh, more for fun, but I have a friend, Steven Gomez, who runs a birthday mile, a mile all out on his birthday every year. <laughs> and he said he would set the goal to break five every year, started doing this when we were in college. And he, he ran in high school and he's a fit guy, but he wouldn't train at all until <laughs> about six weeks before, eight weeks before. And he would come in out of shape and he'd say, Hey, coach me for this mile. And <laughs> it was challenging because he came in out of shape and he was very dramatic, more dramatic than most of the athletes I coached, uh, <laughs> any high school athletes. And he was an adult, you know, at the time, but he was very dramatic and he would admit this as well, but he wouldn't want to do more than, you know, a half mile warm up or cool down. So I had to figure out ways to get him to get in sub five shape of, on about 10 miles a week of training <laughs> or so. Um, but it was so much fun and he is, uh, such a good friend of mine, but he, he did it about six years in a row. There were a couple of years where he fell short, but the funny thing is now he's changed a lot of what he thinks about training and racing. And he's done a few Ironmans very, very competitively. Wow. And this year he ran a four thirty seven on his birthday mile, Whoa. um, which was the fat faster than he even ran in high school. So he's really fit now. Um, he's definitely running a lot more miles than he was uh, those years I was coaching him. Yeah, but it was fun to kind of problem solve and uh, coach him and motivate him to run a sub five minute mile on on his birthday. So yeah, so is he is he doing like pretty intense Ironman training now? Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what he's training for, but he's done you know a couple and um, performed really well. So he's yeah he's he's a he's a machine for sure yeah 
So you mentioned a few things, but what what is it about coaching or what was it about coaching that appealed to you or that you enjoyed? I've always seen myself as a, an encourager and I like helping people achieve goals and seeing people improve. That's something that has always, uh, it, regardless of what it is, even if it's something really small, I can get excited about it. Um, if it's somebody trying to finish their first marathon or if it's somebody to try, trying to win an individual state title in high school or whatever that may be, uh, I always like helping people achieve their goals. Mm, yeah, that's huge. So you graduate from all of that. What, what, or what was the path like to becoming an assistant at Carmel? Like, where were you working before then? How did you end up back at Carmel? What was that time period like? Yeah. I think, I'm not sure on the details exactly, but I think Colin, either I reached out, I think I reached out to uh, Colin after, right after graduating, after running that marathon and asked about coaching. And all the positions were, you know, taken at the time, but he ended up kind of making a role for me on the team and I'm forever grateful for that but kind of made a role for me on the team um, to kind of come in and be be a coach um, I think primarily to help train with some of the top guys um, at least at first mm-hmm. uh, so I got destroyed in some workouts by uh, Ben Veach his senior year mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun uh, and some other other guys as well got to run a lot of workouts with them and see them eventually go on to bigger and better things. I'm running a marathon marathon with uh, one of those guys in a, in a few weeks from now, but oh, cool. uh, shout out to Trey Harris, but yeah, I, I think I just reached out or he reached out to me and he, he made a spot for me. And so I, I kind of right after college started helping out with the boys team and just running with the guys every day and, learning from the other coaches and being around and kind of watching both the, the boys team, but also the girls team that was kind of close by and uh, getting to learn from some of those other coaches. Yeah. Were there aspects of being an assistant that you miss? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It, it was, it was so much fun. I loved, um, I mean, it, it's nice because you don't quite have, all of the you know as much responsibility um at the time i could just it was a great great for training because i could show up and run with the guys and i didn't have to worry you know as much about being back at a certain time necessarily mm-hmm. um i would a lot of times i would maybe get a couple miles in while the team was doing drills or get a couple miles in afterwards and so i, I didn't quite have as you know, as much responsibility, but I was able to, it, it was, it was almost in some ways, like I was, you know, part, part one of the guys on the team, I was yeah. a few years older than them, but um, just, it was, it was a unique opportunity and I had so much fun. For sure. I'm, I think about that a lot. I'm like trying not to wish away this time as an assistant. Like I, like you said, it, it just lends itself to be able to like run with the guys, not worry too much about getting back on time or doing this or that. Um, and like, it's, it's just like a different relationship you have with the guys. Like there's right. just 
ways that they'll or things that they'll share that they wouldn't share with the head coach necessarily and um yeah it, it feels like kind of like a big brother role or like a kind of a mentor type of role that's different than the head coach which is pretty cool um so did you when you got the when you when you helped start helping out with Carmel did you want to be a head coach eventually or were you just trying to see what coaching was like what, how were you approaching it I wasn't thinking about it at the time mm-hmm. much. I was just enjoying getting to be a part of a team still because I wasn't necessarily considering that as I was leaving college, but it wasn't it wasn't on my mind at first. I was just focused on on coaching at Carmel and was just enjoying enjoying it and being in the moment. Um season to season eventually I think that grew but definitely not within the uh starting off yeah I was gonna ask were there a couple of key moments where like okay I think I want to do this I don't know full-time or like have my own team or were there some of those moments along the way as an assistant I think I was definitely learning and taking everything in but I was only an assistant for about three years before, you know, the opportunity presented itself to um, move on um, and start coaching at Garen Catholic. So if, if I was there a little bit longer, I would say otherwise, but since it was only about three years, it wasn't you know, too pressing. I, I, I just had a lot to learn, I think, and still did when I, started um having more responsibility later yeah. on so how did the the transition to garen go like how the opportunity come about uh, what was the process of moving from carmel to garen and kind of the yeah the transition transition uh in, in a lot of ways was great because i already knew um some of the people at garen uh i was actually roommates at one point with um, the person whose position I took. He was moving out to California um, and I had known him since high school. And so he's the one that told me about, about the job in the first place. And then also the, the other coach, the boys cross country coach was Tom Ullman, who he and I had been great friends since middle school. Uh, And so So that that was it. So he was already there and mm. uh, had been there for a year or two. And that was a big uh, draw, a big motivation to bring me there was, hey, I, you know, have an opportunity to get to coach with, you know, my best friend. Mm. And even if, you know, we do this for a couple of years, I'm sure we'll enjoy it and it'll be something we'll remember for the rest of our lives. And so that, that was a, a difficult thing to pass up. But the other part was just, I don't mean this to sound to sound bad, but I, I felt like Carmel Cross Country was going to continue to be very successful. And I felt like I could have more of an impact yeah. um, at Garrett and kind of le- leave more of a mark in some ways. Um, not that I didn't think I was having a positive impact at Carmel, but I knew that they would be very successful and that somebody would come in and, you know, take my spot and do an awesome job and it would be a good opportunity for them. So I was excited about kind of challenging myself and 
seeing how I could grow as a person and a coach. And um, the opportunity I thought was, was difficult to, to pass up. Yeah. So I'm sure like stepping into the role, you felt like equipped enough to, you know, to do the job, but still had, you know, a lot to learn and always will have a lot to learn. Um, how were you feeling stepping into the the position? Was it a little overwhelming at first? Did you feel confident you could do it? Like, where was your head at stepping into the role? I think I was both confident and humble. <laughs> uh, probably should have been more on the humble side and less confident, but I felt like I, I had a general idea of what I was knew what I was doing and I wanted to be uh, I was very passionate and I had a lot of, you know, enthusiasm and energy that I thought I could bring, but I definitely had a lot to learn and had a lot, you know, some failure in the future. But th the biggest thing I think I tried to do initially was just bring that energy. And I can remember the first day of practice that I showed up, I wanted to come, I was going to coach there in the fall for cross country, but I wanted to help out a little bit in track too. I showed up to a track practice and one of the guys on the team didn't have his trainers with them. And so I looked at them and they were going to do a workout and I said, Hey, what size are you? Said, Nine and a half. I had a pair of Adidas supernovas on. I took them off. It was about 40 degrees. I was standing there outside. I took them off. I tossed them <laughs> to him. I said, Hey, Ben Veach runs in these trainers. <laughs> put these on you'll be either they'll be a lot better from than what you have on right now he's like really ben, ben beach <laughs> and uh he was in college at iu at the time uh -huh. um, but i gave him my shoes he put them on he ran the workout but i just wanted to show him like i'm willing to do whatever it takes to mm. help you get better um even if it means you know i'm giving you my sh the shoes off my feet little did i know at the time that that guy I gave those shoes to would not only become way faster than I ever was, but also eventually become my brother-in-law uh, story for another day. But uh, really? it was Joe, Joe Barrett who's running at Marion right now. But yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's a crazy story. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of wild. So just doing that and just making some, you know, Tom, Tom was already um, had things going, but he was the only distance coach at the time. And so it was tough enough for him. He wasn't working at the school to kind of, manage things on his own and so mm. even having the the two of us there helped a lot having two two heads are better than one but just making some small changes along the way the first thing I thought when I got there was hey we got to find a way to get more people running in the off season in winter when track season ends in the beginning of May and we're not starting you know practice for cross country until June we got to find a way to keep some of these guys and girls here if they're not on varsity um, or the team's going to have some successful runners, the top people will always, you know, maybe be motivated and they're going to get recognition from what they do and their accomplishments. And it's going to be easy for them to stay motivated and maybe show up when, um, uh, and run on their own when we're not at practice, but all those other guys and girls on the team, it's a lot more difficult and we got to find a way to keep them around and make it fun for them and give them as many opportunities as possible. Um, so th those are the type of things that I tried to do early on. So you and you and Tom, are you guys like, what's your guys' coaching relationship? Like, is it pretty cohesive team? Or are you with the girls? He's with the guys. What's that look like? 
it's changed a little bit over the years, but for the most part, we've kind of been co-coaches of both boys and girls distance. We do everything together. There are occasional times where we'll separate the boys and the girls, um, but for the most part, training, they're doing similar, you know, they're running different amounts, but they're doing the same thing. Um, so it's kind of one big family. It it works well because of the size of the um, the school and the team in cross country. We have, you know, maybe 25 to 30 and distance and track is maybe 10 to 15 or so um, on each side. And so numbers wise, it makes it um, a little bit more manageable, but we've kind of had a co-coaching, so to co-head coaching uh, for cross country and for distance. And the the only reason I think why that works well is because we agree about 98% of the time on everything. And if, if we don't agree, which does happen, we're able to work through those and, mm-hmm. and ba- we balance each other out well, uh, which normally that type of situation I think would not work at, at a lot of schools, but uh, we have the same kind of big goals and philosophies mm. in mind. And we're trying to do what's best for this, the student athletes. And so when we do disagree, we're able to, you know, resolve that conflict, but that that's how it's been for the most part. It's changed a little bit. Um, Tom's had a little bit of a career change recently, and mm. it's been easier for me to be around every day because now I'm, I'm in the building and I'm teaching um, at the school. So that, that has changed a little bit, but um, yeah, we've definitely worked well together and also had um, some great support from our head track coach, you know, Tom Gallagher and our ADs. And also the, we've had some awesome assistants um, that have helped out. Chris Walden was there for a year with us. Stacy Morozov oh. helped us out for a year. And right now we had this past cross country season, we had quite a few amazing uh, coaches as well. So it definitely a team effort. And I'm, trying to surround myself with people that are better than me. And um, <laughs> that has helped. That has helped. Huge. Um, could you walk us through kind of your, your cultural philosophy? And then also, you know, having been there for a couple of years, I'm sure, I don't know, if you're anything like me, it's easy to like to picture the best possible outcome. Like this is exactly how it's going to go. It's going to be perfect. We're going to be the best ever. Like maybe mm-hmm. how have your expectations changed? How has it gone? Like implementing some of the cultural things you want to implement and like, where, where do you envision the team going in the future and what does it kind of look like? Yeah, I think it's kind of, it's an ongoing thing, but mm-hmm. overall, I think team environment, culture, whatever you want to call it is so important. It's, it's probably the most important thing um, when it comes to a team and the success of a team, in my opinion. And that's something that we've put a lot of effort into sometimes more than others. Uh, but if the team's had success, it's because of that, I think first and foremost. And I know at least on the, on the boys side, for example, um, 2018 was my first cross country season there. And we had a great senior class um, with some, a couple of amazing runners and, and good leaders. And they kind of bought into what we were doing and they treated each other really well. And were a lot of them were best friends and the best couple guys on the team graduated. And so naturally the team would, you would think the team would take a step back, especially when the best runner in school history leaves, but that didn't happen and they got better. And the reason why was because they had a, a good group, a, a good culture and they supported each other and they 
they bought into what we were doing and they started working hard and they improved a ton. Um, and those, you know, there was a group of four or five sophomores on the team that were running 17, 18 minutes or so. And then a couple of years later, they're seniors and they're all running sub 17 and the team makes the state meet for the first time. Um, and it, it, a lot of that was just culture and, mm-hmm. and them supporting each other and uh, building each other up and a s- similar thing. And, and so the boy, that kind of led to a lot of the boy success and the girl side, it's been kind of the same way. Um, just had a group that really, I noticed some some big changes even in the past track season, 2022 track season. There weren't any crazy results necessarily, but I could see them supporting each other, being there for each other, becoming friends. And that just, it just practiced. There was just an energy at practice and attendance went up in the off season. And I was like, that's all you need. And we had some talks about culture in at the end of the track season. I was like, I think that the cross country team, you know, the girls could be really good. So we decided to have a talk about culture and about, you know, how we saw things and just encouraging them that, you know, everyone's role is different, but everyone's status is the same. Everybody can bring value and we're trying to build each other up. And mm. I think it's really difficult for high schoolers or for anybody um, because naturally a lot of times we look to tear people down rather than, you know, to feel better about ourselves rather than build others up. And we're competing for spots. We're competing for status, whether that's, we're competing, uh, physically or we're competing emotionally, socially. Um, and so it is really tough and it's an ongoing thing, but I think team environment is really important. And there's, you know, some different things we've tried to do to get that going but when the team's been successful i think a lot of it is is due to that hmm. what uh is what things have you done to cultivate that environment of like supporting each other and wanting what's best for each other i think modeling that trying to model that helps um but also a big change that i've something that i've tried to do differently and that I've realized over the course of time is just you got you got to show show the athletes that you care about them as people first. Hmm. And you may you that may be the case, but you've got to show them that, hmm. um, and you've got to really mean it and be intentional about that. And I didn't necessarily realize that from the jump. Uh, I think I thought, oh well, I know these things about training, and I can tell you know kids on the team this and then they're going to do it and it's going to be great but I wasn't showing them that I you know maybe I did care care about them but I wasn't showing them that uh from the get-go and I think I have improved at that and I hope to continue to improve about that um showing people on the team hey I care about who you are I want to know about you as a person first Mm -hmm. and I want you to be on the team and have fun and enjoy it and be here and then you know we'll worry about training there's a quote that says um it's a long it's a long journey from shallow dependent and selfish to thoughtful self-sufficient and selfless 
And in some cases, training is the easy part. That's a Scott Christensen quote. And I think if you if you have a good team environment and culture, people want to support each other. Yeah, the training kind of kind of kind of falls into place. And if you come up with challenging things for people that you say, hey, you know, we're going to raise that. You can raise the expectations. I think it's easier to raise the expectations after you've done that. One of our former former boys on the team, um, he told me that th there's a a diagram. It's it's uh it's like a culture diagram. It's called like the eight types of cultures, and it's got like relationships. Um, on one side and like performance on the other. And it's kind of an X, Y, like a graph. Okay. And in the top right is like championship culture. And it's got a high level of, you know, performance or whatever, and a high level of, of relationships. Hmm. And one of the guys on our team said, he, he's like, I think it's a lot easier to raise the level of the relationships first and then, you know, focus on the performance rather than trying to do it the other way where you, yeah kind of try to raise the expectations and the people on the team aren't there for each other, supporting each other. They're not going to want to be there in the first place. So they're not going to want to listen to anything you have to say, but if they like each other and they care about you and they trust you, then it's easier to kind of meet them where they're at and take incremental steps and in challenging them. Um, because run distance running is really tough. Yeah. It definitely seems like it's a lot easier to raise the training level than it would be to develop that relational aspect have you found that mm -hmm. to be true yeah in a lot of ways i mean it's easier to tell a kid to run an extra half mile every day yeah. maybe <laughs> but but I, I think that yeah just the relationships because if you yeah it's just kind of life there's training wise you can do i think there's so many different ways to help someone improve Mm -hmm. But if they want to be there and they're going to show up mm -hmm. willingly, uh, especially if it's optional and they're going to run, then they're going to get better. If they're going to, if they're going to be, especially if they're doing both cross country and track, if they're running 48 weeks out of the year or 50 weeks out of the year mm -hmm. and they're running five plus days a week, six days a week, as long as you're not, you know, doing something crazy with them <laughs> and that, yeah. getting them injured. Uh, then they're going to improve and likely, you know, likely year after year, season after season. Yeah. I think that's a really great point you made a little bit earlier about like you may in your mind, you're, you're showing that you care uh, maybe even like leaning towards training and like emphasizing training is your way of showing him that you care. But until you like, like you said, meet them where they're at and like really communicate and show that, you actually do care about them more than just their performance, uh, more more than just them as an athlete. Uh, I I don't know. I've even seen that in like day to day life. Like someone, maybe it's a friend, coworker, significant other. Like they say something to you, like, and it doesn't quite align with how you actually like feel about them or think about them. Um, but you realize that you actually haven't like communicated that. Uh, I mean, that's just like also kind of a guy thing too. I feel like I'm like. I'm I'm learning as of late how how much I under communicate and kind of just assume mm. assume that yeah that people I can do that too <laughs> for sure <laughs> assume that like people like 
I don't know, like no news is good news, that kind of thinking um, and just like under communicating. But yeah, all that to say, like, I think, I don't know if you can err on the side of like over communicating. You can definitely under communicate, but I feel like I'd rather go the other way and share like, okay, this I really do care about you and this is why and this is how and yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about the kind of the flip side of the coin, your training philosophy? What are some, maybe some key workouts you've liked? What's your approach to, to mileage, to periodization, different things like that? It's definitely changed over the years, but a lot of the general kind of philosophies have, have stayed the same. We place a lot of value on consistency. That's probably the number one thing we're looking for uh, is just showing up and getting the work done. Um, and Co- Coach Olman is a great in his own running, but also as a coach, he's he's very focused on that. And a lot of times with training, I would say we're kind of like Kevin from the office. Um, he says when he makes the chili, he says the key is to undercook the onions. And <laughs> I'd say that's kind of what we do. In a lot of cases, that's what we try to do because, uh, you know, Justin Roeder once told me if he's coaching at IUPUI now. He said it's better to train at 90% the whole year rather than, you know, train at 100%. And you get injured for a a few months or something. Mm -hmm. So we definitely try to uh, keep it consistent and have a progression over time. But whenever there's something in question, we try to err on the side of caution Mm -hmm. and to maybe undercook the onions a little bit. Because in the long term, they're going to continue to improve. Mm -hmm. And not only are we thinking about March 25th, HSR, but we're also thinking about June 2nd or June 3rd, and we're thinking about next October, and we're thinking about possibly six years from now mm-hmm. when they're in college, and maybe we're thinking about 10 years from now when they're out of college and they're running on their own, um, and it's not just one season or one workout, um, but we, we want them to you know have a progression and be consistent and improve over time. And it doesn't always, you know, progress isn't always linear. They're not always improving every single race. But our hope and our goal is definitely for them to improve season to season and year to year. And hopefully by the time that they're, you know, seniors in high school, they've improved a lot from when they were freshmen. And if they wanted to, they're in a good position to run in college um, or at least have that opportunity and um, they're prepared for the next step, but also have a lot of room to grow. Mm. Um, and so with training, that's something I think we focus on um, is just kind of that consistency and take kind of taking that next, um, whatever the next like logical step is and um, what they're doing. Um, but, but as far as like some numbers and workouts and things like that go, um, boys and gr- like, Boys, for example, we've had guys run anywhere from, you know, 20 to 60 miles a week. Um, not Now that's not every week, but we've had a couple guys hit 60 um, for for some weeks. So a lot of times I'd say if a boy is healthy I'd, and I'd like them to get, you know, 50 plus um, a lot of weeks when they're seniors and a girl maybe um, up to 40, but 
we haven't had a lot of people do that. Um, some of that's on us for maybe not pushing them as hard as we could have. Mm. Um, and so they haven't been able to get to that point, but, um, we maybe improved at that a little bit, but a lot of times we're just trying to walk. Like I know for this year, we had a couple, we had a, on the girl side, especially we had a lot of newcomers, um, newcomers or freshmen in the varsity. And so I'm like, man, the team could be great. They could make the state meet, but I, you know, I don't want these freshmen to have a bad experience their, their first year. I don't want them to run too much. So I was doing everything I could to keep them in the twenties and never over 30 miles a week. I'm sure they could have been fine and ran great. And, but I wasn't willing to risk it. Um, and with some of those new girls, it was kind of the same. I was really trying to watch their, their mileage, how much they were running and their intensity to just keep them healthy because, you know, they're just starting out in this sport. And if it costs them a little bit in this season, I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, if they're going to improve, there's a lot more important things out there. So it's tough trying to find that balance between challenging them um, and also being smart about it. Uh, and I, I think that I'll probably change my mind on a lot of things, <laughs> uh, how much I'm willing to push them or not um, over the course of time. Cause there's definitely times I've swayed on the scale different ways. There are times that I think I've not pushed people hard enough. And there are times I look back and I'm like, man, I've kind of pushed, probably pushed a little bit too hard in that situation so mm. yeah is it is it hard to separate the like success you want to have as a coach and as a team and like what's actually best for the athlete that could be really it can be hard to like, kind of make that and sometimes it's like one and the same but mm. like, it can be really tempting it, to want to like push the, the team more than they should yeah it can be but that's something that I I really strive to do as a coach um, is do what's in the best interest of the athlete. Some things that come to it come to mind immediately when I think about uh, when I came to Garen was we have a bunch of dual meets in track and invitationals and there's just a ton of meets. Track training is so difficult to plan out. But you know, we had there's people on the team that I think are going to run in the state meet. And that, if that's the case, I don't think they need to run every single dual meet or, or they, they don't need to triple in a bunch of invitationals. If that's mm. um, if, even if that could mean that the team maybe wins an invitational if they do it, but if it's not in, in their best interest and we're risking injury because we're having a race uh, five times in seven days or something, uh, then I don't think it's worth it. So, and, and you can give other kids opportunities too in that situation that someday down the line, they, you know, you see what they could be. You see something that they don't even see in themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but, but a lot of times they have to get those opportunities to get there. Um, there. There are people on the team that I can think about right now that I know they are not even thinking at all about <laughs> running in the state cross country meet right. in, 20, in 2025. But guess what? I am. And I'm not necessarily going to tell them that right now because they might be like, what? Maybe I'll try to plan to see it a little bit. But I'm thinking about that possibility mm -hmm. for them. And so I want to give them those opportunities to grow um, whenever possible, uh, even if it comes you know, at the expense of some team points in a track meet or something like that or a cross-country meet even, like trying to get – even though we're a small school 
you know, we've held, held some people out, a small, I guess, a medium-sized school. We've held people out of uh, tournament races in cross-country. And the biggest reason we've done it is because um, to give other kids an opportunity to race in the tournament, not necessarily to to rest um, people, even though sometimes that can be good for training, but a lot of times to give people an opportunity. And in, a lot, in some of those situations, some of those people who have ran in those meets ended up running in, you know, the state meet a couple of years later. So um, it, it is, it is a challenge, but that's something that I definitely try to do um, is, is do what's best for, for the runner and do what's best for the team. But yeah. What, uh, what ways have you grown the most in these X amount of years as a head coach? I think I've just, I think I've just learned a lot from other people. Mm. just so you know going to clinics reading listening to podcasts and and observing and asking questions not being afraid to ask good questions uh i feel like maybe i know you know have some strengths but i also have a lot of weaknesses and there's a lot of things i don't know uh and so i i do you know i i do think it's i'm i'm glad that i've you know asked people questions and that I've gotten to know other coaches started to do that a little bit more, even though I can be introverted mm-hmm. um, and reading and, and just kind of trying to learn. Um, that's something that's definitely helped, but I've learned a lot of things just like that. The relationships I think are really important. I've learned a lot about uh, I, I think about coaching girls um, because I hadn't done it up until I came to Garen. I hadn't been on a girls team or part of a girls team. I'd been on boys team in high middle school and high school and college and after college. So that was a huge adjustment and I still have a long way to go, but I would say for the first two to three plus years, I really failed big time with um, coaching, coaching girls. I, I don't think that everyone had a terrible experience because of me. I, or at least I hope that, but I, I, de- I wish I could, you know, go back and, you know, do more for some of those girls that I, I coached probably early on, um, at least the first two, three years or so. Yeah. So what, what have you learned about coaching girls? And I guess specifically, what has it been like being a guy coaching girls? Yeah, I, I think that there are difference i think there are differences between coaching guys and girls some people would have the same approach and i may be wrong people may disagree with me or some of the things i'll say but these are things that i've observed or maybe i've read or learned about and i do think that it's also important to coach the individual and that that things i might say are um they're sort of generalizations and i also think that some of it it's interesting thinking about how much of it is nature and first nurture how much of it is is society and how much of it is you know uh, is yeah nature versus nurture so i I don't know a lot of that but i'll I'll tell you some things i think i've learned some differences and ways i'd approach um i think that boys compete physically they go out there and they get after it and they are willing to punch each other and they compete physically Girls, I think, compete emotionally. They compete socially and then physically. They're they're competing socially all the time, relationally, 
Um, I think guys just need to be told to go and they're willing to go to the extreme, whether that either extreme. I've seen that. I think girls more likely want specific details. They want explanation before they go do anything. I think that boys, um, when it comes to coaching, uh, it has to do with more about their performance and how they see you, like your knowledge and respect. They do care. I think they care about, you know, if you care about them, definitely. But I think they're thinking more about what your credentials are. If they feel like you know what you're talking about, um, and maybe their performance has a little bit more to do with their buy-in. Whereas I think at girls, it's more likely that they want to develop like trust in a relationship. And then you can coach them after that. And once that happens, then they're willing to run through a wall. Um, and then, I mean, there are other, plenty of other, other things too. I have, I have a list that I've been compiling over you know, a while since I think that it's a really interesting topic. And like I said, I may be wrong, but I think that like with boys, a lot of team bonding and activities, like they happen kind of between the lines, like before, during, after practice, um, naturally. And that does happen with girls, but I think that it's important to like schedule things too, because mm. they're more likely to hang, hang out in smaller groups and whole team activities, I think it's more important to probably plan those out. And I'm not the type of person to think about that or to plan those out. Um, I think um, guys learn by like trial and error and just kind of going out there and doing it. And girls want to maybe under seek to understand first, like if you have a workout and you tell the boys what to do, they're just going to go try to do it. And they may do it completely wrong, what you said, but they just want to like go for it. And whereas if you tell a girls team a workout, it's probably more likely that you're going to get about 50 questions before <laughs> they go do the workout. And that does, that's not a bad thing, but mm -hmm. um, they want to understand first and then go do it. They might be more cautious or less willing to take risks. Um, and some of that maybe is because of society. So I think it's really important to, uh, I learned this from coach, coach Bevins. She was talking about her team a couple of years ago and she said, she would said the word belief. And I think that is not, uh, I think that is an extremely important word, especially with girls teams, because a lot of times society is telling them how they should look, how they should dress, how they should, and they're thinking about all those things. Maybe they're not as confident in, in themselves. Um, and so I think it's really important to um, show them that you believe in them and you believe in what they can do and, you know, show them that they, they have value and, try to get them to believe have confidence and believe in themselves um, and that they can be more than they think. Um, but I also think that uh, men got, or guys like boys need to compete mm -hmm. before they can bond, like, or need to compete in order to bond and girls need to bond in order to compete. Like guys can go out and go head to head at each other at practice in a workout and afterwards they're like high five and shaking hands, whatever. <laughs> I think it's a lot easier. Girls like have to bond first and then they can kind of compete with each other. Um, but if they're just going at each other, then there's just going to be a big divide um, afterwards. And, and I, I could keep going, but, but those are just some general kind of observations that I've made. And again, I think each athlete is different and you should meet them where they're at. 
Um, but those type of things I wasn't aware of um, until the last couple of years. And I think learning and observing has really helped. I think being in the classroom has really helped as well. Um, and just taking the time to try to, you know, have relationships with the people, people on the team has, has been beneficial. Dang. I'm, I'm really glad you shared that. I appreciate you sharing that whole list. That was, I don't know. Some of those were really profound. Are these things that you realized pretty quickly or you've been compiling them through the years? Um, and is this something that you think about a lot that like, how can I best, I guess, coach my specific team, you know, the girls team? Yeah. These are, they're things that I think I've just kind of started to realize within the last year or so. Um, I, if I'm being honest, I think the first few years I was at Garen, I was just, I just didn't really know how to relate to a lot of the girls on the team and I didn't know all of them. And so it was just kind of more natural for me to gravitate towards the boys. And so whether I realized it or not, I was just putting more time into them. I think just, you know, being honest, but once I got in, once I got into the classroom, I think that changed. And I had some, you know, girls in the team and my, I teach primarily freshmen. And so I had some girls on the team in my class and I really got to know them. And I think that being in the building and them seeing me every day and me showing that I cared about them started to kind of change and, and my relationship with a lot of the girls on the team, they kind of got to know me first and then uh, everything else kind of, kind of followed. Um, but, but it was, it was just kind of being more intentional, even though it was something that didn't come as naturally to me. Yeah. And, and then eventually I, I learned from observation and from failure and from other things. And, and, and so I feel like I, that really has helped me do a better job with, with the, the girls for sure. Yeah. I've noticed it, it feels like it really only takes one moment or maybe even just a few moments of like really showing that you care maybe taking time to like have an intentional conversation with them about their lives and like something just changes about that relationship with that athlete like it that one moment or moments of seeing that you really care like they just I don't know the relationship changes the level of buy-in changes their willingness to share about like running related things that are going on I don't know it's it's pretty amazing like the impact of just a few moments of showing that you care, you know, if it's, if it's genuine. Definitely. And it's such an important time. I can think about when I was in middle school, high school, college, et cetera. And the people that really showed that they cared, even if I didn't show it initially at the time, those, those, I mean, I could never repay some of those adults uh, for having a positive impact on my life. Mm. And I think of I think some of them come come to mind right right now, some coaches and teachers, et cetera. And yeah, a lot of it maybe was not realized till later on, but they went the ex you know, they made the extra effort to show that they cared about me. And it was at a time that I really needed it. Mm. And so I, I I think about that sometimes. Um and it and it mot it motivates me for sure. Um, I had a, I was thinking about 
I was working at an accounting firm and I was thinking about making the change and going to Garen and also changing jobs. Uh, and I, I had started coaching there and I wanted to really dive in and uh, was feeling kind of a call to education. And it was tough. And I had some conversations with um, someone at the accounting firm who coached baseball at Cathedral for a long time. His name was Rich Andriel. And he asked me, uh, or or and I asked him about teaching and coaching. And, you know, it was obviously a, a big change too financially with the job, a job change into education. And he said, people ask me about that. And I tell them that I've got these gold bars. And I said, you know, what, what does that mean? And he said, I've got these, I've got these gold bars sitting on my desk. And he's like, this one is this guy that I coached and I taught in this class. And this one, it was the relationships that mm. he had made. And he's like, I've got hundreds of these gold bars and they are, you can't put a price mm. on them. And those are the relationships that you make. And those are, that's the impact that you can have on students at, at and athletes at a very important time in their lives. And that is worth everything. And, and that has stuck with me uh, ever since. And so however long I'm doing this, which may not be that long, maybe it will be. Um, I'm going to think about that and I'm going to try to honor him and, um, and just try to have a positive impact on, um, as many, you know, student students or athletes, uh, as I can. Um, and my, and my, and I might not always do a great job with that, but I'm going to strive, um, to, to develop those relationships and, and have a positive impact. Yeah. Uh, this is a pretty deep question, but do you think about death very often? No. <laughs> No, no, <laughs> no kind of scared of it. Hope it's a long way off. Maybe I'll live to be like 150. There you go. <laughs> I like, um, I mean, I don't think about it like all the time. <laughs> That'd be a little insane. <laughs> but I like try to regularly think about, I don't know, if I'm on my deathbed or like the last days of my life, like what, looking back, what did I value? What are the memories I have? Like what, what really mattered? And, I mean, I think it really does boil down to those like relationships. Um, and like, I'm one to like, I like a boat, a nice car, a nice steak as much as the next guy. And there is definitely a place for, you know, making money and, and doing nice things in life. But yeah, like, even just thinking about life now, like if, if I could only keep one thing, it would be for sure. Like the relationships I have with, with people, like if it was, if I was given a choice between, you know, money or power or fame or whatever the you know other enticements of life are, like it's just all about relationships. And also like going back to what you said about, I don't know, I think about the time, like my time in high school and the, the few uh, like older guys that had a, a big impact on my life. Like I expressed almost zero grat gratitude you know, towards them in the moment, but like looking back, they, I don't know, my life would not be the same without, you know, those people. And just thinking about that, like when, when it doesn't feel like you're making a big impact on these kids' lives, like you just don't, you just can never know what you're, you know, the positive, um, 
interactions you have, you know, what they're actually doing and what they could do for the rest of their, their lives. So I don't know. Yeah. It's easy to forget, but good reminder. Yeah. I think of that, that quote or that saying about like planting a tree or whatever, where you're, you're not going to get to, you know, be under the shade I'm not sure exactly how it's oh, said. Like yeah. You plant you plant a tree that you're never going to get to sit you know sit under the shade. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is. That's kind of maybe what that is like. And then I also think of another quote from Cloud Atlas. There's a book movie Cloud Atlas, and it says something like you know you'll ne- something about amounting to what uh, my life is only going to amount to like a single drop in in the ocean or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it says like, but what is the ocean? But uh multitude of drops Mm. so that that that's something like you know you can zoom in and zoom out and you can feel very insignificant sometimes because you know there's billions of people out there but that doesn't mean you know everyone has value um and you can have a you know an an impact even if it is you know in a a small circle on a small scale um and like you said though you know those people in your life had a huge impact on you and now you're pat, you know, you're pa- you're seeking to have a a positive impact on a bunch of other people, maybe partially because of them. So that's a that's a cool thing. Yeah, for sure. I've like I've recently been trying to think of my life in like maybe like the opposite end of like two of a spectrum. <laughs> Words are tough. Like the opposite ends of I guess yeah, like spectrum. Where like on one end I want so I'm dating someone and like eventually want to marry her. And like, I want to invest my life as deeply into her as I can like into this one person, like for my life. But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, I want to also like positively impact as many people as possible and maybe like not so deep of a way, but like just those like, and that is coaching for me. Like I want, to have those 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 relationships those interactions where you know maybe not in the moment those kids the kids like realize the impact that you know cross country and a coach and a good atmosphere have on them but down the line you know something that I said or something that I did like impacts them and so I've been trying to like I don't know kind of view my life in in those two realms and then like everything in in between and maybe my closest friends are kind of more towards the deep end. Like I want to try to invest and be as good a friend to a few people as possible. Um, but then also have like acquaintances and know people, uh, you know, more than just a few people. So I kind of trying to like manage that spectrum. I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Like that's kind of how we're I'm... getting deep here at the end, the skip ahead portion of the pod podcast. <laughs> right. I'll, I'll put that in the intro. Just skip the first hour. <laughs> No, um, yeah. So been thinking a lot about that. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, what a, yeah, we're we're I think we're about an hour and a half right now. Um, maybe a last question, unless there's something else you wanted to bring up. But mm-hmm. what uh, what motivates you as a coach, and what kind of like keeps you going and gets you through those tough days? Yeah, I think it's more. <laughs> like going back to it, the, the relationships and the improvement than, than the, the results. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I, I 
can get a little caught up in the results, but if I'm more focused on the the people, um, then th- that's that's kind of what gets me um, up every day. I think is you know there there are guy like for example, I think of a couple boys. They've since graduated, but I came in and they were both finishing their freshman year, and they were running. They had ran mid nineteens in the five k. One of them was a more of a baseball player than a runner at the time, <laughs> um, but they both ran mid nineteens, and I can remember that summer before their sophomore year, and um, just in starting to invest in them and seeing the growth and development in them over time, and then I was just kind of focused on that, and fast forward you know a couple of years later they're seniors and they're running in the state meet and the boys had never made it and they had never dreamed of doing that and one of them is now running at Belmont and they both group you know are great people too great guys and um and so those are just kind of the example of like what motivates me is like being part of that not not only as like runners, those are two examples where, you know, a couple of boys improved a ton over the course of high school. That doesn't always happen. Uh, but but they also grew up and are are gonna be great dads and great um husbands and um employees and et cetera and friends. Um and a lot of that is because of other people in their lives too. But even being able to play a small role in that um, is just unique, is really unique. Uh, and and that, that definitely motivates me, uh, even though there are some tough days. Yeah, for sure. All right, one more deep question for you. Um, okay. <laughs> do you ever think about how, like, for each individual person, like, they – their life is like uh, I'm not gonna be able to describe this very well. <laughs> like their, like their life is everything to them. Like they, you can't. Like what they feel, they can only feel. Mm-hmm. What they've experienced, they can only experience, or they've only experienced. And so, like even though, maybe if you're like you're making a small impact, or you only get to impact like a small group of people even just like one person, like you're impacting someone's like whole life, like their whole like lived experience. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. You're just, we're just really getting deep here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it definitely does. We could spend, you could spend hours, uh, you know, you could, after we get off the pod, you can, be looking up at the ceiling tonight being <laughs> deep in your own thoughts <laughs> um, but yeah no it is cool yeah I think I mentioned earlier like you can feel very significant and insignificant like at the mm-hmm. same time I think you can feel very small you can feel very important and unimportant and yeah sometimes I, I don't know it it is crazy how that kind of works yeah, for sure. Okay, that's all I have for you. Um, is there uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap up? No, 
I just think the this podcast is pretty awesome. I've I've listened to a lot of them and uh fortunately had the opportunity to to meet uh and get to know some of the people you've had on and so it's been cool every time one drops. Uh I don't know if it's usually on a Friday or not, but it feels mm-hmm. like it. Sometimes when one drops on a Friday, it you know rises to the top. I'm like, I gotta listen to this one, especially uh if it's somebody I know. Uh, so it's been cool providing the kind of long form um, interviews, but yeah, just good luck to all the coaches and um, athletes out there this season. I'm excited for track. We're getting ready to head to the HSR kind of portion of the indoor season. So that'll be exciting for a lot of people who've been training for the last few months without any races or meets. Mm. Uh, so it'll be cool to connect to with some, coaches during the indoor and outdoor season yeah for sure yeah it's interesting like I've I don't know probably about half of these have been coaches and most of these interviews have been like during the off season so it's like interesting like I saw a few of the coaches I interviewed uh at the coaches clinic and like some of them didn't even recognize me and I didn't (laughs) recognize them at first kind of thing because we'd like we've seen each other over zoom for an hour or two hours but never in person so yeah, it'll be interesting to see and connect with a lot of them in person. But mm-hmm. yeah, I appreciate you coming on. This I didn't expect things to get so deep at the end, but it was really good. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me. Of course. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Uh cool. We'll wrap up there. Um All until right. next time, everybody. We'll see you.